are you using the giftedness you've been given in the context of the church? Let me say it as bluntly as I can. If you're not Christian, you are disobeying your Lord. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you see your service in the church as part of the grace God has given to you? If you're a believer, did you know that Jesus commands service on the part of every believer in the context of the church? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part two of his current series titled, Gifted to Serve. You know, there is a specific way that God has designed His church to function. And the body of Christ, the church, only functions properly when you're doing your part, when you're using the giftedness God has given you, regardless of how you may value your spiritual gift. Friend, are you serving others in your congregation? Or have you downplayed the importance of your giftedness, your ministry to your brothers and sisters in the church? Keep those questions in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Now, exhortation can be accomplished publicly through preaching, as we saw in 1 Timothy 4.13, where Paul says, Timothy, in your preaching, make sure you exhort. It can happen publicly through writing. I mean, the word is used in chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans. I urge you, there's the word, I implore you. But it can also be used privately in private counsel that's given. This is what Barnabas did with the apostles when he took them aside and, and explained to them what had happened with Paul and brought them along to accept him. Now, as I shared several weeks ago, let me just mention again that this gift of exhortation often accompanies the, the use of music in the church. If you're involved in our music ministries in this church, if, if you play an instrument, if you, if you sing, if, if you're Seth and you lead the, the church in music, although singing itself is not a spiritual gift, and if it is, I don't have it, it the gift of exhortation uses the message of the music to persuade others. That's what you're really doing. When you lead us in music, you are using your gifts through the message of the music to persuade us either to believe or to obey what we're singing together. So if you're engaged in our music ministry, you are really exercising the gift of exhortation. That brings us back to Romans 12 and to the fifth gift that he mentions, and it's the gift of giving. Verse 8 says, he who gives with liberality. The Greek for gives could refer to someone who distributes the church's resources, like a deacon who takes the resources given to the church and distributes them. That's what Calvin believed this, this was teaching. The other possibility, and I think the more likely one here, is that the word gives is simply referring to a member of the church who uses his or her own resources and gives to the work of the kingdom. And I think that modifying expression, with liberality, makes it clear that this person who's giving is giving his own or her own resources. Now, all Christians are commanded to give. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there are a number of passages where we're commanded to give out of our, how we've been blessed for the work of the kingdom. 
But certain believers have a unique spiritual ability in this regard. Let me define it for you this way. The spiritual gift of giving is an ability to effectively invest one's material resources for spiritual and kingdom purposes. I think this is a specific expression of the gift of service or helps. And those who have the gift of giving, sometimes they have large resources from which to give. Other times, those with the gift of giving honestly have meager resources, like the Macedonians who gave generously in spite of their poverty. An example of someone in the New Testament with the gift of giving may very well be Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, we read Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet in order to advance the kingdom, to care for the church. It's also true that those with the gift of giving personally funded the ministry of our Lord. You can read about them in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. There were women who supported Jesus and the apostles out of their own private means. They funded His ministry. Those are the unsung heroes. Those are the ones who made it possible for Christ and the apostles to travel and teach and be engaged in ministry. And this still happens today. The advancement of Christ's kingdom is made possible by the giving of us all as we're commanded to, but especially by those who have this gift. They have supported the ministry of local churches. They, they build church facilities. They print Bibles. They, they print other literature. They support missions nationally and internationally. They're like the, the Christians in Philippi who seem to have a lot of this gift. You remember in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, you yourselves know Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, but you alone. And then he says this, for even while I was in Thessalonica, and Paul was only there for a few weeks, as even we were reminded last time, he was only there for a short time. Even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. I have everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied by you. That's how the gift of giving manifests itself. Sheila and I have some friends who inherited some money and, and I think who have this gift. They work hard and they try to multiply what they've been given, but they are very wealthy and yet they will do everything they can in order to trim their own expenses so they can give more for the kingdom. I remember we were with them one time and we were having a meal together and they were going to prepare, Sheila and my wife were going to prepare a meal and and uh, we were going to have chicken, chicken breasts. Well, Sheila would have typically gone to the store and bought chicken breasts because that's simpler. It's time-saving. We're on vacation. But, but no, our friend bought whole chickens. And she said, well, why didn't you just buy chicken breasts? And she said, well, you know, those are more expensive. I mean, it's not like money's an issue. Why? why? And she goes, oh, listen, every, every dime we save, we can invest in the kingdom. That's just how people with this gift think. And there are people here in this church who have the gift of giving. The sixth gift that Paul lists is leading. Leading. Verse 8, he who leads with diligence. The Greek word that's translated leads here means to exercise a position of leadership, to rule, to direct, to be at the head of something. By the way, leading is also called administration in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28. 
So the gift of leading then is an ability in leadership and administration. Again, to qualify to serve as an elder in a church, you must have this gift. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it's, it's translated to manage. You're going to manage the church of God. You're going to lead. You're going to administrate the church. And, and so the test of whether or not you have the ability to do that is how you lead and administrate your own family, your own household. That's because leading, administrating, is such a crucial part of the elder's role. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told that elders exercise oversight, leadership. But there are many people in the church who are not elders who have been gifted with leadership abilities. Sometimes they're the deacons who, who organize and lead ministries. Other times there are those in the church with this gift who don't hold the office, who aren't elders, who aren't deacons. They're, they're merely members of the church but they have this gift, and their leadership may involve a ministry of the church. It may involve a part of a ministry. It may involve one small aspect of a ministry, and yet they're providing administrative oversight to that responsibility. The gift of leadership is absolutely essential to the proper functioning of the body of Christ. I'm often told by people, you know, the countryside Everything's just run so well, and it's done with such excellence. And they look at me like I'm responsible for that. It's like, look, the reason that happens is because the Lord has blessed our church with a lot of people who have the gift of leading and administration. And they use those gifts in the church. The seventh gift listed here in Romans chapter 12 is showing mercy. Showing mercy. Notice verse 8. He who shows mercy... Again, all of us as believers are to show mercy to those in need. But there are those among us with a special, unique capacity to show mercy. This gift is, is I think, again, an expression of the gift of helps or um, service. The Greek word show mercy here is, is always in the context of those who are in trouble, those who are in difficulty. In fact, most often, this word is used of God showing mercy to us as human beings. In fact, you remember back in chapter 9, our salvation was described as God showing us what? Showing us mercy. God showed us mercy. You were created by God to glorify Him, to obey Him, to, to listen to His voice, to follow Him, to worship Him, to serve Him. But you, like me, haven't done that with your entire life. Instead, you've lived it for yourself. You've rebelled against your Creator, and you have earned the just punish, punishment for that rebellion. That rebellion, by the way, is simply called sin by the Scripture, and the punishment is eternal judgment, according to Jesus Christ Himself. That's what's coming. That's what you've earned. That's what I've earned. But God is merciful. And in His mercy, He sent His only Son from heaven to become one of us. He became a, a full human being just like you are. And He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. For 33 years, He obeyed God's law perfectly. And then at the end of His life, He died as a sacrifice, giving Himself as the way to satisfy the justice of God against the sins of everyone who would ever believe in Him. In fact, Peter puts it this way, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree so that we might live to God. 
That's what Jesus did. And then God raised him from the dead. What you need is that mercy that Jesus purchased for you. How does it become yours? You throw yourself on the mercy of God. You want to see a beautiful picture of it? Jesus told the story of a tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. And he went up to the temple, and this is what he said. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven when he prayed. He looked at the ground, and he beat his chest, and he said, God, show me mercy. Be merciful to me, the sinner. You know what Jesus said about that man? He left the temple justified, right with God. This morning, if you will simply acknowledge your sin and throw yourself on the mercy of God, He will be merciful, and He will make you right with Him through the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we need is God's mercy. So it's usually God who shows mercy. In fact, here in Romans 12, this is the only time Paul ever uses this expression, show mercy, for the action of human beings. But there are those in the church who have this spiritual gift. What is it? The gift of showing mercy is an ability to help assist and relieve those experiencing distress, misery, or pain. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says, those who were widows indeed are those who, listen to this, assisted those in distress. That's showing mercy. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, Dorcas is described as abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Showing mercy has so many contemporary expressions. People with this gift in our church, people who have the gift of showing mercy, these are the people who prepare meals for the families of those recovering from surgery or families after a funeral. They visit people in the hospital. They care for shut-ins. They reach out to those battling cancer or other life-destructive illnesses. They minister to those with special needs. They care for widows and orphans. This is such a vital gift for the function of the body of Christ. These are the permanent edifying gifts Christ has given His church. Now look back at Romans 12 because I don't want you to miss the main point Paul is making in this section. With four of the seven gifts, Paul says, if you receive this gift, use it. That's what he's saying. If you've got the gift, use it. God expects you in the context of the church to wholeheartedly use the gift the Spirit has given you. Lloyd-Jones writes, it is the business of each person to use his or her gift and to exercise it to the full and to the glory of God and to the benefit of the church. Whatever your gift may be, concentrate on that. By the way, look again at that list in verses 6 through 8. Do you realize that our Lord demonstrated every one of those gifts in His earthly ministry? So it's no wonder that when He starts distributing gifts to His body, guess what He gives? If we're going to use our giftedness responsibly, then you need to understand you need to use the gift you've been given. Use it, and use it as your primary ministry in the context of the church. So my question to you this morning, if I can, if I can step away from teaching for a moment and exhort you, are you doing that? Are you, doing, are you using the giftedness you've been given in the context of the church? Let me say it as bluntly as I can. If you're not Christian, you are disobeying your Lord. So get with the program. Paul says, use it 
in the church. If we're going to use our giftedness responsibly, there's one final priority, and that is use your giftedness with the right attitude. Use it with the right attitude. Did you notice the change with the last three gifts? With the first gift, prophecy, Paul told the first century believers who had that gift to exercise it according to the proportion of his faith. But then with the next three gifts, he said, with service, teaching, and exhortation, focus your ministry in the church on using that gift. If you have the gift of serving, use it in serving. If you have the gift of teaching, use it in teaching. If you have the gift of exhortation, use it in exhortation. But with the last three gifts, Paul tells us to use them with the right attitudes. Notice the fifth gift. He says, give with liberality. Verse 8, he who gives with liberality. The Greek word translated liberality means single as opposed to twofold. So Paul could be saying, give with integrity, or we could say it, give with sincerity. In other words, when you give, don't give for something you're getting out of it, your reputation or anything else. Give for the need of the others and for the glory of God. If you have the gift of giving, give from your heart to the Lord, not to impress others like the the hypocrites in Matthew 6. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, as Jesus says. But this Greek word liberality can also mean just that, generosity. And that's why it's translated that way here. I think that is what Paul means. It's like the Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, who although they were poor, gave generously. Paul says, listen, if you have the gift of giving, then give generously. Give with liberality. If you're, if you're one who has the gift of giving, here's one of those occasions when it's okay to be liberal. The sixth gift is lead with diligence. Lead with diligence. This word diligence, the Greek word, is a complicated word. It includes the concepts of eager, earnest, willing, wholehearted. And so the closest English equivalent is the word diligence. It's like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says the elders are to exercise oversight or lead not under compulsion, but voluntarily, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. If you have the gift of leading or administration, fulfill that responsibility with diligence. And then the seventh one, notice he says, show mercy with cheerfulness. It's the opposite of doing it under compulsion. Don't do it because you have to. If you have the gift of mercy, do it because you want to wholeheartedly. Never do what you do with the gift of mercy as if you're merely determined to get through an unpleasant task. Leon Morris writes, mercy is not a grim duty, but a joy and a delight. If you have the gift of mercy, how can you remain cheerful in that? I mean, you're dealing often with hard things. How do you remain cheerful? The answer is you remind yourself who you're really serving when you're serving that Christian. You remember Matthew 25, verse 40? Jesus lists all of these really practical things. And then he says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. You realize when you show mercy to a brother or sister in Christ, if you have that gift, Christ says, 
It's like you're doing it to me. That's how I see it. You're taking care of me at the hospital. You're taking care of me as a shut-in. That's how you can remain cheerful. So, what about the other gifts, the other four? What are the right attitudes for the previous four gifts where he didn't list an attitude? Well, let me just show you from other places how he teaches us to exercise these gifts. First of all, in the first century, if you had the gift of prophecy, he says prophesy with carefulness. Verse 6, if prophecy, then make sure you only prophesy what is according to the proportion of your faith. That is, only tell people what God is saying if that's what God revealed to you. So, in the first century, if you had the gift of prophecy, you were to prophesy with carefulness. Secondly, serve. Serve with dependence on God. 1 Peter 4.11 says, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. You know, it's so easy if you have the gift of serving to say, look, I mean, I can, I can make this meal with my hands tied behind my back and to depend solely on yourself. But you were to exercise the gift of service realizing this is not a natural ability. This is a spiritually given ability and you are to depend on God as you exercise the gift of serving, whatever that serving may be. Teaching. Teach as if you were speaking God's utterances. 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. That defines what you teach. Listen, don't get up and share all of your opinions. Instead, you read the text, you explain the text, you apply the text. Stick with the utterances of God. With exhortation, exhort with patience and instruction. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Keep teaching as you exhort, but don't give up. You know, we can be so impatient with people. And yet, remember the apostles. Think about this. They had the best teacher, the best exhorter that ever lived. And he had them with him for the better part of three and a half years, teaching them day and night. And yet, after three and a half years with Jesus, on the night before the crucifixion, they're arguing about who's the greatest. So be patient with people. Let the Word have its time and work in their lives, just as you want God to allow it to have with you. So don't miss the big picture. God has gifted every individual Christian. That includes you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has gifted you to serve in this church. So, think about your spiritual gift accurately. Don't think too highly of yourself and your gift, nor are you to think badly of your, your gift. Instead, you're to think literally what Paul says is sanely. Have a sane view of yourself and your giftedness. How does that happen? Well, remember that your unique ability to serve is a gracious, sovereign gift of God. Look at the end of verse 3 as God has allotted to each. And remember, verses 4 and 5, that you're just one member of Christ's body and you're there to serve the rest of the members. If you'll do that, if you'll think like that, then it'll keep you sane in your thinking about your gift. It'll keep you accurate in how you think. And then use your gift responsibly. Make sure you understand the New Testament spiritual gifts, but then use it. Use your giftedness as your primary ministry in this church. Get busy. Get involved. And as you use it, make sure you use it with the right attitude, with the right spirit, 
so that it honors our Lord even as you carry it out. Understand that as we each use our giftedness, as you use yours and I use mine, Paul says in Ephesians 4, the result is the entire body is built up together. That's the goal until we all increasingly resemble the moral character of Jesus Christ. Let's serve Him together. Let's pray. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part two of Gifted to Serve. Tom will have part three for you next time. Do join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.